CEO, my name is Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. All right, my guest today is Gary Ryzen. He is the uh, CEO of Coasis Coalition Companies PBLLC. Did I say that right? That's correct. Thanks for being a guest. I'm delighted to be here. All right, you have got a broad spectrum in the way of backgrounds. Give our audience a flavor for who you are, what your experiences have been, and then I want to talk to you about uh, a myriad of things, but we're, we're going to start with the Opportunity Zones. But first, you. Okay. Um, well, I'm a lifelong outsider, so I view the world from the outside, which I think makes me somewhat objective. Um, grew up moving all over the place. Um, <clears throat> professionally and foundationally, I'm a corporate securities attorney, which means that I have helped businesses um, start up, structure, raise capital, do acquisitions for, I hate to say it, 35 years. But my joy is building companies. And I've built uh, three or so um, over the last 20 years um, in technology and in investment funds. Um, and I'm currently building a company called Coasis Coalition Companies, um, which serves the Opportunity Zone ecosystem with the intent to see that the goals of that new tax incentive program are rightly achieved. How does that work, the Opportunity Zone Tax Incentive Programs? So the Opportunity Zone Tax Incentive is kind of a blend of 1031 concepts and Enterprise Zone concepts. 1031 concepts is a concept that if you sell a piece of real estate that, that, is a, that you make money on and you buy another one, you can just move your basis over if you do it within 180 days and you don't get taxed. You get deferred over and over. Enterprise zone concepts are um, incentives to encourage people to put their businesses and to do other economic activity in low-income communities. So it's a blend. Um, and overall, the way the pro program works is that anyone who is a taxpayer, so it would exclude nonprofits, foundations, pension funds, Anyone who is a taxpayer who achieves capital gains from, an, from any investment, real estate, stock, bonds, cryptocurrency, art, commodities, whatever. ponies, art, doesn't matter, um, can take those capital gains and reinvest them, if they do so within 180 days, into an Opportunity Zone fund, which then invests in these low-income communities. Um, and so doing, the person with the capital gains has a tax deferral of those capital gains for up to seven years, a reduction of the tax, taxable amount of that capital gains by up to 15%, and the opportunity to get tax-free upside above that original investment in an unlimited fashion. That is huge. Right. Now, that's why all the private equity companies are swarming to get into this space. Um, the benefits to the community from the Opportunity Zones, walk me through that. So 
it's really a fascinating program. It actually was started under the Obama administration, but in a bipartisan way then. And then when um, Trump had his Tax Reform Act, it was put into the Senate version, and again, in a very bipartisan way, championed by both Cory Booker and um, uh, Scott. Um, what's his first name? I'm forgetting his first name. He's a Republican senator from South Carolina, as I recall. Tim Scott. Um, and um, th th it's very, very open. It just simply says, look, we want to encourage capital to look at these areas. We're not giving the areas any particular benefit. The areas have to prove themselves to people with capital. And the businesses or the real estate developments within have to prove themselves. But it incents kind of a macro movement of capital to look at these zones that might not have otherwise looked at these zones. Now, walk me through the uh, the organizational structure of the um, Opportunity Zone programs because there is... You were in my office the other day, and it's one thing to say it. It's right. a whole other thing to implement this process. Walk me through a high level, if you will, of the organizational structure of these opportunities on projects. It's a very important thing to keep in mind, the actual structure, because otherwise, and I, when I was first looking at it over a year ago, you tend to collapse it, and it doesn't. It, it starts not making sense if you do that. It's kind of a three or four tier structure. At the top tier are the investors who realize those capital gains. They're the ones who get all the benefit, but they're required to invest in what's called a qualified opportunity zone fund. And that fund does not have to be a professional fund. You and I could create a business and we could structure that as a fund, doesn't it? And then that fund invests in assets, generally real estate developments and business assets in these zones or businesses in these zones. So investor getting the tax benefit, fund which has to comply with the rules and business or and or property business also has complex r rule requirements but very doable okay um how are we going to or how are the the, the um, players in this field going to organize themselves under the opportunity zone program because there is some structure there it's a really good question because the flexibility means there's manifold ways to organize yourself in the space. Many from my former industry, the investment fund industry, are organizing a fit, you know, traditional investment funds with an investment manager and, in, and multiple investors coming into the, the fund and multiple investments underneath the fund. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, there's several hundred of these funds already out there. Um, the majority are investing in real estate developments, but there are a good handful and growing that invest in businesses that are venture capital or investment banking oriented. On the other hand, again, let's say you and I were very smart guys without a lot of money, but we had a great idea, maybe some technical expertise, and we thought we could build the next Google. We can take advantage through self-help and create for ourselves a company that if we grow it, will ultimately be tax-free on sale. And all you have to do is structure it in that tiered structure where you have a qualifying qualifying opportunity zone fund, qualifying business in an opportunity zone. We would go out, we would take some capital gains, maybe from selling some stock, we'd put it in there, and now that stock, when we sell it later, will be tax-free. Talk to me about the ecosystem within this whole mosaic of, of, of processes. So 
when it comes to the capital channels, um, you're seeing the ecosystem, as you say, kind of organize itself. Right. Um, the, the, the essential quandary with this program is the short, the need to invest within 180 days. It creates a concept of perishable capital. So um, there has to be a way to get to that capital and get it invested right away. Um, so you're seeing groups of family offices, high net worth individuals, insurance companies come together to quickly fund a real estate development, let's say. Um, on the other hand, you're seeing um, groups from the retail capital channel. That's the channel that um, raises money through your financial advisor and has various investment programs. Um, spring up where they can kind of have a large number of people who at any time might have some capital and they'll make a call and that'll come in they'll fund a deal so um, it's generally then what you're seeing is private or uh, raised capital with um, kind of the institutional levels at the family office and the uh, insurance company level and then more broadly raised capital through the retail channel um. Capital channels that are most suitable for the qualified opportunity zone programs. Well, I'm kind of biased in that regard. I raised um, more than five and a half billion dollars with one of my prior um, businesses, a investment fund platform, in the retail capital channel. Um, and I think that the ability to have large number of people who at any time might be able to liquidate or, or have liquidated um, investments and have capital to invest is a big advantage to timing, which is a compliance problem. It's a little bit of a complex compliance problem of getting the capital and investing it. So I think that is um, going to end up being the most robust capital channel. Right now, because unfortunately not all of the rules are finalized with the IRS, it's mostly being funded through more institutional-ish types of investors, again, like the family offices, insurance companies. Let's, let's change tack here for just a minute and talk to me about your, your experiences as an entrepreneur. So um, I went to law school because I just wanted to know the rules. I didn't want to be like a mime in a glass cage. Um, and when I went to law school, I didn't know what to do, but I figured a productive thing to f focus on was business using law as a productive means to create businesses. I practiced for about 15 years. I finally decided, I, this was in the last tech boom, I finally decided in the 90s I had to look at starting businesses myself. And I started a tech business, a telecom software business with two gentlemen from Nortel, brilliant guys. And we built that and we sold that in a few years and we did very well. Um, uh, and then just as I sold that, a former client of mine, a fellow, beautiful man by the name of Robert Berenger, amazing person, came to me and said he wanted to build a new fund structure and I could immediately envision how that should be set up and so we set it up and then I spent the next 15 years with that. We built this company called Berenger Harvard from zero to almost 12 billion dollars in real estate AUM across the world um, and I built the whole structure around it because of my corporate securities um, background and skill set and also was the president of the broker dealer that sold the securities. My partners were the subject matter experts around how to how and what to invest in real estate. Um, since then I that went through its its life cycle it was badly hurt by the recession but um, I've then returned 
to practicing law to be in deal flow and eventually encounter this opportunity zone concept and it just amazed me for not so much for its strength of investment fund benefits but because I believe it's part of a cultural um, reaction to tribalism. I believe it's part of concepts of bringing communities back together that have grown apart. I'm involved in something called Cristo Rey High Schools, which do the same thing. And I think this uh, is, a, is kind of a um, not really well seen dynamic that is happening because people don't want to believe that other people are the bad thing. That they want, they actually do want to join together. So I think that's where the big value is. And I'm seeing people in these communities create their own projects, attracting capital, and connecting with people they would never have connected with otherwise. Um, your experiences in the investment fund world, I want to bring that out. So the investment, obviously I've had tons of clients uh, representing um, uh, investment funds of all types. But my personal experience in building business was around mostly non-listed REITs, which you would grow, you would register them publicly and sell them broadly and grow them to billions of dollars in size. And eventually the common exit was to become listed REIT, a regular REIT. Um, Monogram um, uh, Residential was one of our REITs. It was called Behringer Harvard, multifamily one with us. And, and it sold to a, a big investment bank a couple of years ago. Um, but we also sold something called 1031 syndications, which I've mentioned before, which is a way to offer small pieces of one or a few uh, commercial assets to people who might have sold their farm or their fourplex or their small real estate investment. Um, and it's so similar to what we have now with that concept of perishable capital. Um, and so when I encountered the Opportunity Zone space, I realized that I had such a grounding in everything that was required to see this be successful. We'll create some investment funds later, but right now we're building infrastructure services and products. All right, your, um, your next Opportunity Zone Super Conference, talk to us about that. So we have a series of conferences that we call Super Conferences, and the reason we call it Super Conferences, uh, beside it being a kind of a cheesy name that people can remember is that we are equally focused on transactional benefits as informational benefits. To date, almost all, I haven't seen a conference in the Opportunity Zone space which wasn't entirely focused on informational dynamic, which is important because it's a new concept. But what really needs to happen is there needs to be a regularly occurring environments for investors and investment funds and people who have Opportunity Zone businesses and people who have Opportunity Zone real estate developments to get together there's only 180 days. So you have to get people together. They have to see the whites of your eyes when you're gonna invest with them and, and know who they're investing with. So at our next conference, which is in Monterey, California, um, actually February 13th and 14th, so Valentine's Day in, at next February, um, and the Thursday, Friday before President's Day weekend. So we really have kind of set up a destination dynamic there. Um, we have half of the conference is focused on transactional um, arrangements. Uh, we have major people from Treasury, um, uh, from HUD coming in to speak. We have major law firms and major accounting firms coming in to speak. Um, and that's 
the first half of the first day, but the next day we have Shark Tank pitch sessions in three different rooms featuring Opportunity Zone funds, featuring the businesses, featuring the real estate developments. Um, and then the next morning, we have curated one-on-one -on -one and small group meetings where we match up investors and the folks who are seeking investment um, in a way that's very efficient. Um, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it should be as productive as you can get in this space. So you can both learn and you can be there to see what's available to put your capital gains into. You're going to do another one after that in Dallas, So we, right? we, since, remember, it's 180 days. So our intent is to make sure to have these twice a year. Right. 360 days divided by two. Um, and um, so we're going to have them every half year or so. The next one after that will be in Dallas, actually in uh, Frisco uh, in mid-September. And then after that, we, we want to make our Monterey conference the kind of this, the regular place to be because it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. It's like a mini San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Um, and, so, uh, and, and so nice. Um, and then the fall conference would move around a bit. We're actually kind of thinking of Nashville for the subsequent year. Nashville has become booming. amazing. It's booming. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Jerry, thanks for being a guest today. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate it. Mine too. All right. Well, thanks for joining with us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and uh, sign up for our new app. It's available on the App Store, both Apple and on Android. It's called CEO Money. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining.